Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Salted Hash. My name is Steve Reagan, Senior Staff Writer at CSO Online. Today, we're going to be talking about mobile security and privacy. We'll be right back. Welcome back. I am joined by Nathan Friedis, director, big cheese, head honcho, keeps the lights on at the Guardian Project. Very cool thing. Howdy. And to my right over here, we have J.M. Porup, staff writer at CSO Online. And uh, let's let's start with some basic assumptions here, Nathan. Um, all of us, including everybody in this room, the three of us and our two producers over there behind the camera, we all have this computer in our pocket that we pretend is something as simple as a phone. And we use it to communicate, we use it to coordinate, we use it to talk, and so do other journalists, activists, and protesters of, of all kinds of sorts, uh, the good kind, the bad kind, what have you. And governments of the world seem to take issue with this. Mm. So while they use these as wonderful tools to coordinate and operate, it's also the single weakness they have. Tell me a little bit about the Guardian Project and what you're doing to help people like this. Yeah, so I... I've been a mobile technology enthusiast since I was a child. I uh, used to take apart walkie-talkies and try to turn them into Dick Tracy radios. And um, I, in the uh, 90s, I sold all of my PCs that I had lovingly built because I bought an, I wanted an Apple Newton. Um, <laughs> and then I moved on to Palm Pilot and was one of the first third-party developers for the BlackBerry and the Palm, the wireless Palm 7. Um, and then I eventually ended up working at Palm. So I have this long history and fascination with these portable computers. Um, it might be the science fiction I grew up on. It might be the idea of understanding the potential. Um, but at the same time, I sort of grew up with an eye and an understanding of um, civil rights and justice work and community work, which expanded into human rights on a more global scale. And I had these sort of two lives going on where I was like flying out to Silicon Valley and building uh, technology for you know the most wealthy and the most powerful. And then I'd go home to New York and, and be up late nights working with activists who were trying to organize and stay in touch. And I was like, these, these need to be connected somehow because mm -hmm. these folks need this technology more than the folks I'm trying to build for now. And so in 2004, I sort of left the mainstream technology life and began working on tools and systems for activists, um, and then um, which included being the sort of um, communications director for a network of activists who went to the Beijing Olympics in 2008. So we sent over 70 activists in as a network, and I was the person that was meant to keep them all communicating, <laughs> staying in touch, right? So we had burner phones and crypto phones and satellite phones and you know OTR laptops and netbooks, and I learned a lot. I learned a lot and said, this was really hard, right? This is too hard, too expensive. Everyone should be able to do this much more easily. And and then Android came out, right? And then iPhone came out. And I said, oh, these are going to be everywhere. And we should get started porting over things like PGP, OTR, Tor to mobile devices. And I think I can do it. So in 2009, I started doing it. So when it comes to the devices themselves, there's always the, the big argument, which is better for security, Android or iOS and things like this. But I'm more of a, a practical person. I don't really care what your phone is. Some, are, or some apps and devices are going to be more secure on one platform or another. I think it's more about how you do things personally. Mm -hmm. So when you're developing apps to help protect uh, activists, let's uh, I heard a you have some interesting stories about Tibetan activists and, and Chinese hackers. When you develop apps to 
to help them out. What are you focusing on? Well, you mentioned earlier about how we are all carrying these and they're so powerful and yet we call them phones. And and, and the other sort of misperception about them is that we actually control them, right? That we actually have some sort of you know, root or admin. I mean, your laptop, you can buy for cash, you can have root, you can have admin, it's yours. Your phone is 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 <laughs> property of property Verizon. of Verizon, <laughs> controlled by Apple. It, but you don't you know, it. you don't get to choose what apps are on it always. Yeah. I mean Android has a little more freedom there. And so that's one interesting thing is the main issue with working with people and living in places where they are oppressed, where they're being watched, where they're being persecuted is how do we actually get the byte code to their device to run? And will we put them in, increase their, their harm, put them at higher risk by giving them this code, right? It's a very interesting philosophical debate. You want to help them, but it, just recently, um, tens of thousands of people in Turkey were put, uh, were, were uh, detained or arrested for potentially the for one having by an app. One, the Does one by I saw that, yeah. Pixel, right? Yeah. And, and so a packet was detected going from an IP that they were linked to to a banned app by a political movement, and now that means they're thrown in the slammer. And so it's not just even building the app. It's will this appear on the network? I mean, this is already happening in China. You know, if, if you're using an app that's illegal in certain areas, you will get a text saying you, it's been detected that you are using an unlawful app based on deep packet inspection, right? Uh, your data service has been disabled. Please come to the nearest uh, uh, PSB, Public Security Bureau, office for a meeting, you know, to be asked questions. And then, you know, whether or not you get your data back is up to them. And having your data cut off in a, in a society like China yeah. is, I mean, that's it's everything. Yeah, so I think that's really, you have to think about the full threat model, the full harm, and not just like, I have the coolest new way for them to connect and proxy, man. You have to really understand deeply their kind of risks. On the flip side, um, the other interesting thing with Tibetans is that they've been the testing ground for a long time for a lot of Chinese uh, cyber war technology. And so they'll try something on Tibetans and we'll see the same attack on Pentagon or military or government you know, later. And we're like, oh, yeah, that we know that one. We reported that to researchers. And, and that's intimidating to be the sort of, you know, the, the atoll where they test the, the, the cyber nukes on. But um, at least we have some insights to share. Well, this is especially a problem in societies that are mobile first. Uh, in many of these places, typically the only computer you have is a inexpensive Android phone. Yeah, exactly. And and super cool that for essentially fifty bucks you have a you know gigahertz processor and gigs yeah. of RAM and storage. So that's that's what we're trying to figure out. Like we know what we can do. We're getting much smarter about threat modeling and assessment and, and co-design with Tibetans, right? So we don't just say, here, you know, here, you activist monk, or here, you, you know, uh, environmentalist uh, campaigner, take our app and it will solve your problem. We go to them early on and say, what are the things you're struggling with and what do you want to do and how do you want to communicate? Um, and you also realize that you have to make this stuff usable and fun and you know, I mean, that's why Signal supports Giphy, you know, animated GIFs. <laughs> and, you know, and we do a lot of, uh, I mean, with Orbot, which is our version of Tor for Android early on, we had the little Orbot character and he put his arms in the air. And you have to make people not just feel afraid. You actually have to yeah. make them inspired and, and feel better about what, what they're doing. And, and that, you know, we have this new app, Haven. Um, I was going to say, yeah. what you just said bridges to Haven perfectly. Yeah. Because <laughs> one of the things I like about that app is it takes... 
a lot of really essential controls and makes them accessible to the layperson who's not really familiar with security and how it, it operates or functions or what it does, but it's easy for them to manipulate and use. Right. They can get it. So tell us about Haven. Uh, well, a, a few months, actually last year, um, around the time that uh, JM and I were part of a, a program called Assembly at, at Harvard, we were sort of all brainstorming things to work on to improve privacy and security, and I got a call out of the blue from Freedom of the Press Foundation saying, hey, we have this idea. You want to jump on a Jitsi meet or a, you know, they kind of, they host their own, so it's more secure, uh, call and, and, and talk about it. And I got on, and there was Edward Snowden um, uh, dialing in from Russia, and he and Michael Lee of The Intercept, who, who does Onion Share, had you know thought of a clever way of using a phone as a, pers- a personal portable security device. Take an old phone, leave it in your hotel room, your office, your bag, wherever, uh, and, and detect intruders. And there is the sort of evil, uh, the evil house cleaner, I'll call it to be more... Uh, Not the evil maid. Yeah, more progressive. But <laughs> basically, um, the evil uh, intruder that's coming in, you know, the, the CIA black bag job, you know, the thought was, could we, again, make it so cheap and easy that anyone could now have a defense against that, whether it actually 100% will stand up to the most sophisticated, you know, uh, skilled intruders of, of nation states is unclear, but the idea that it's possible. It can raise the bar. Uh, it right raises there. the bar. Um, and it's, you know, we've been working in Colombia, which um, Jam knows well. Mm. Um, uh, and uh, so, so just just for viewers, I, I, I lived in Colombia for four years. I, I reported from Colombia and, and wrote travel guidebooks for Lonely Planet in Colombia. So it's yeah. a country that I know very well. But And we've been working with activists there over the last year. And there's a lot of everyday people facing physical security issues oh, yeah. that may come from a sort of nation state actor or, or militia or something. But they're not Edward Snowden's. They're, you know, they're a local community organizer who has they can't put a nest cam in their house they can't put an alarm system they can't you know and having this ability they they are very intrigued by it so we and you know ultimately ed snowden didn't wants to not just freak everyone out and and say this guy is falling right he wants to find ways to to um, address some of the things that he's made visible to the world so <clears throat> haven itself is a fork of secure it right do i have that right right and secure it was a demo prototype project by a student named Marco mm-hmm. Zaccardi, who um, who I think he worked at Google at one point. I found it on GitHub and said, oh, this is kind of cool. And it has the motion detection code was really amazing, right? Yeah. And so, um, yeah. And so immediately I reached out to Marco and said, hey, you want to hack with us on this? Never heard from him. I still haven't heard from him. Oh, <laughs> he friended me on LinkedIn. I haven't heard a word from this guy. But the kernel of what he had was great, you know. Um, and we just applied a <laughs> totally different threat model to it. Um, so when, when when it comes to future development and everything, what are you planning to expand on? We well, first of all, the launch was amazing, and I think when you have uh, someone like Ed Snowden around, people pay attention. And but people got it, got the idea of it, and the benefit of it. Um, and we've had a number of excellent contributors come and join the project who were just off and running. We have the head of Salesforce's user experience design just did a 60-page UX audit for us for free. Wow. Nice. Um, awesome. And so there's a lot of just usability of 
like the, the the whole part where you set up all the sensors and figure out how noisy the room is or how bright it is, like that is a critical moment to get right, you know, mm. so that people feel that assurance that it's configured properly for the current room. So we're really working on that. The second is video support. So we already have video in so that instead of just sending you a still, if someone comes in view of the camera, you get a video clip over signal, right? Encrypted video notifications. Um, my thing that I'm excited about, because we've built Tor into it, you can essentially link multiple Havens peer to peer. So you can have multiple deployed or you can synchronize Haven on your phone to the one running remotely and not just get a signal notification, but get all the data. So you really start building this out as a network of sensors. Um, and the last important piece is that the, the current fundamental flaw is the false positives. Um, you put it in a noisy city and you're going to get a lot of car horns or sirens, you know, or people were getting lots of sort of sunlight changing dramatically. Um, I left it in my room and, and when I was traveling and the air conditioning came on every day and I was getting all these, I couldn't even, that was a ghost. I was like, is that a ghost? What am I Casper is haunting um, your room. So we want the benefit of machine learning and AI, but we want it to run on the device, right? So yeah. edge-based machine learning to say, I th train it on air conditioning, train it on the typical noise in in a city you're in, you know, and and use that as the floor, and then look for anomalies and deltas off of that, and that 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 would be amazing, and I think we can do it. So one last question before we go: <clears throat> When it comes to executives and um, HVT travelers within an organization or an NGO, mm -hmm. however, okay, what do you suggest? without apps or anything like that, what are some of the basics you would like for them to consider when they're traveling to protect themselves and their communications on their devices? I'm actually a big fan of Chromebooks for this, yeah. um, as this the easy, like almost no training solution. And I do it myself, you know, I, I bring a burner Chromebook and the power wash and all of that. That's a nice, easy capability. And now that Android apps are supported on Chromebooks, you can get um, secure communication on top of that um, beyond just the browser. Um, the other thing is really, um, you know, restricting use of, of public networks when at all possible. Um, and that's where having, you know, VPN, having Tor browser as part of the, you know, this idea that, that there is sort of these, um, there's, a, there's a middle ground between passive and active kind of targeting. There's this sort of um, these, you know, uh, nets, you know, that are sort of sweeping for like, oh, this looks like something interesting. Now let's do active targeting on this person, active interception. Mm. I talked to a very, uh, my wife is, works in public health and, mm. and she works on major CDC grants and works with lots of kind of sensitive information. And I talked to her boss about this and sort of say, started talking about all the people that were coming in, you know, friends and family were coming into his home and were sharing the, in, the network that he was on with his so-called secure kind of machine that he was using for government research. And I was mm. saying like, you need to, you need to understand that people could become adversaries without knowing their adversaries. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And machines in hotels and cafes can become adversaries very quickly. So I think the idea that to be, um, you know, to carry your data connection with you if you can. Um, I have the T-Mobile global roaming stuff, and mm -hmm. I, I really like using that So with a VPN and everything. But, yeah, Chromebooks are great. I also use a lot of uh, ThinkPads. I use old ThinkPads because um, you can rip the hard drives out of them. Yep. Um, so there's some like old good burner hardware that's um, you know a few hundred bucks if if you want like a real computer that um, uh, you can do a lot with. So 
Um, so yeah, that's my quick recommendation. Excellent. Nathan, thanks again for joining us. Really appreciate it. My name's Steve Reagan, senior staff writer with CSO Online, and this has been Salted Hash. We'll see you next week. 